0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Keeley. Hey, Chris.
1: Welcome to Hurt It on the Sidelines. Heard It. Hurt it on the sideline with shotguns Bradley. It's Bradley.
0: Welcome back to another episode of the Hurt It on the Sidelines podcast. We've got a fun guest coming up for the show this week. We've got former USC dual sport athlete Tony Burnett. Join the show to give us his thoughts on the new-look Trojans after he was able to check them out a couple times this spring. In case you're new to the show, the Hurting on the Sidelines podcast is part of the Peristyle podcast family of shows. I'm your host, Shotgun Spratling, and I'm here to help guide you as we attempt to take you behind the curtain a little bit, give you a behind-the-scenes feel as we interview people around USC sports, including players and coaches, and in this case, a former player. If you're sitting there saying, damn, why does that name sound so familiar? Or if you don't remember the name solely because you tried to black out the last 12 years since Pete Carroll left, Tony Burnett was a member of the Trojans from 2010 to 2012. He transferred to USC from L.A. Southwest Junior College on a partial track scholarship and only planned to run track until Ed Orgeron saw him in the Heritage Hall and talked him into coming out for football. Burnett rose up from special teams walk-on to earning a start against UCLA at the end of his first year at safety after coming on for an injured T.J. McDonald recording 10 tackles against Notre Dame. His efforts earned him USC's Joe Collins Walk-On Award and a football full-ride scholarship. While still running track each year, he moved to cornerback in 2011 then eventually transitioned to linebacker for his final season in Cardinal and Gold. We'll talk to Burnett about his journey to earning that scholarship, what it was like being a two-sport athlete, and which teammate would have made the most money from NIL deals had that been legal during his time as a Trojan. After USC, Burnett got a couple of NFL minicamp invites, but ultimately ended up traveling north to play in the Canadian Football League. Burnett discusses his training for the draft and the decision to head to the CFL, as well as his perceptions of the USC football program that he's kept close tabs on since graduating. TV breaks down the differences between the previous regime and what he has seen from Lincoln Riley and staff in regards to the on-field product, as well as alumni relations. He also gives his impressions of Caleb Williams and some other transfers that stood out to him this spring and he talks about the atmosphere in the Coliseum on Saturday as he was hanging out on the sideline with some of the other former players in attendance. But first, I want to give you my two positives and one negative coming out of spring. The first positive is the excitement around the program. It's awesome to see so many people actually looking forward to the season and the positive possibilities, rather than a lot of fans wondering what exactly is going to go wrong this year. There's a renewed optimism surrounding USC football, and it all stems from the unexpected hire of Lincoln Riley and everything he has done since taking over. The second and positive is one of those things that Lincoln Riley has done since taking over, and that's overhaul the roster. Now, this is a bit of a tough positive because it's tough to watch some of those players that that we've covered for multiple years from high school and up basically get pushed out of the program. But from all indications, it seems like Riley and staff have been very open and honest with everyone on their standing and their place on the team. But the work the coaching staff has done to bring in quality transfers has turned this from a two- or three-year overhaul into an overnight change of culture and talent level. There's still plenty of work to do for the Trojans, and Riley and the other coaches have mentioned they'll be looking to bring in double-digit transfers this offseason after spring camp as well, but the guys they brought in so far have been guys that will compete for immediate playing time. Even more important than the talent level of guys like Caleb Williams, Shane Lee, Makai Blackman is their leadership qualities. Caleb Williams and Shane Lee do it in two completely different ways, but they're both guys that other players gravitate toward and take their lead from. Those are also the type of guys that star players in the transfer portal will be attracted to play with in the future as well. Now on the negative side, there are still some holes that USC has to fill. The coaching staff is given no reason not to believe that they'll be able to do that. So we're going to back away from the team itself. We're going to skip halfway across the country and point to the constant harassment and obsession of the Oklahoma fans that will tell you they're happy that Lincoln Riley left. They don't care that Caleb Williams followed him but they just can't keep those names off their lips or off their Twitter fingertips. It's a constant barrage of bows and scared of the SEC's and our coach now is better. Well, congratulations. Go celebrate with your new coach, your new staff, your new quarterback. Sooner fans can't even do that. They aren't even interested in saying positive things about their own program. They'd rather continue to vomit insults and hurl complaints about something that's gone, not looking back. All right, guys, each program spring game is over, so it's officially time to move on. The nation has given you your bereavement period. I know you lost something that was near and dear to you, and it hurt. Now it's time to get on with your life, at least until a college football playoff ring comes out with Oklahoma and USC in the same vicinity of each other. Then we can pick up the trash talk once again. But for now, let's chill out a little bit. Maybe you guys need a trip to the beach or something. Find a lake. Find whatever it takes. Find a little downtime. Relax. Take your mind away from Oklahoma football, and go enjoy enjoy some nature around you. Let's now bring in our guest, former USC player, Tony Burnett, TB. Thanks for taking the time to join the hurting on the sidelines podcast. One of my favorites. I definitely wanted to bring you in. I've always enjoyed, I enjoyed covering Tony while he was at USC. He was a dual sport athlete at USC running track and USC and uh, or and football, excuse me. And then he's been back multiple times throughout the process. You know, he played a little professionally, but always come back to to support the Trojans. And he got an opportunity to check out the Trojans a couple times this spring, so wanted to pick his brain a little bit and thought his unique take, having played for Lane Kiffin, having seen everything from from there, from the progression from there, and then having seen a couple of, of opportunities, getting a couple opportunities to check out the spring. You know, get his opinion on what he saw out there. But but TV, thanks so much for joining us. First off.
1: Uh, No problem, man. Shadi, you know, you're my guy. You know, whenever you call, I'm gonna pick up the phone. So, you know, I'm here. um, I'm open book, ready to get into it.
0: Well, first thing, how was it being down the sideline, getting to catch up with some of your former teammates, like Leonard Williams, getting to see him around his first time around USC in a few years and guys like Sua Cravens, who I think you helped recruit to USC while you were a player as well.
1: Yeah, man, that was awesome, man. You know, getting to reconnect with my former teammates kind of restored the feeling, right? Like, you know, we went to war with these guys on the same grass. Like, you smell that grass, and it kind of feels like game day all over again. Um, but just getting to see those guys, man, I haven't seen Leonard in a while. Hadn't seen Zach Banner in a while. J.R. I haven't seen him in a while. Um, you know, because we're all adults now, right? It's not. It's kind of hard for us to catch up because we're all in different places of the world. But, you know, for us to be able to reconvene at the spring game and, you know, be back in the Coliseum, especially with, like, the energy, the way it was in there, that was a great feeling, man. Um uh, Yeah, that was awesome.
0: Yeah, just give me the energy overall. You know, you've been through spring games at USC, you know, those off-season scrimmages and stuff that you have at at different levels. What was this like in in comparison to what you experienced in the
1: past? I I think the biggest difference is you could feel, like, the anticipation, right? And, um, you know, that's that's what it used to be, right, like, when we used to pull up in those buses, you know, rock the bus a little bit, um, walk down the peristyle, walk through the field, you know, there was always that anticipation, right. Of like, you know, what the Trojans are going to do today. And I think, um, you know, for a couple years, you know, obviously they're really good. In these last couple of recent years, I, I think it was just like, they came in with not anticipation, but with an expectation, right. Like they expected to be disappointed. Right. So like, you know, they weren't cheering, right? Like, there was no energy. It was kind of just like, hey, I've been a season ticket holder since 1953, and I'm going to show up because this is what I do, and I'm a Trojan fan, right? And now it's more like you can, you can get that feeling back, right, of like, man, I'm excited. Like, what are the Trojans going to do today? But the energy was high. Again, usually for the spring game, right, there's only one side of the stadium that they see. Um, they, sit, they sat both sides. You got ESPN out there. The kids are ready to go. And I think it didn't disappoint. I think there was a good showing out there. And, you know, I think that's – I'm, like, super excited for – I was telling uh, the AD, because, you know, I got to talk to him for a little bit. I was telling him, like, I'm super excited for the home opener because I think that the Coliseum is going to be a madhouse. <laughs> but I think it's going to be the hottest ticket in town. So I'm really looking forward to that.
0: It should be really fun just to see where it goes from here. Obviously the excitement coming into spring didn't get to see too much, even the media, you know, we only had a little bit of limited action. So it was first time for kind of everybody to see what was really going on out there on Saturday. And it was great to see so many of you guys coming back as well. The alum, and, you know, it's always great when you guys come back to check out kind of the latest iteration of USC football. And you'll know, seeing you guys on the sidelines. One of my favorite parts during games of, you know, as I'm looking at it for all the recruits and seeing who's there. Be like, oh, there's TB. There's, you know, there's whoever it may be uh, that's in town that week uh, for the NFL. You'll get some guys to come in and just the guys that are local as well. Uh, but it seems like Lincoln, Ron and the new staff have been very receptive to the alum so far. Has that been the case for you and are any of you, you and the other guys, you know, kind of talking about it? What's kind of been the reception that you guys have received from Lincoln Riley and the staff?
1: Oh, 100 percent. The love is there, right? The love is there. The, the respect is there. It's very welcoming environment and I, you can kind of feel it, but you can also tell that like they're definitely putting an emphasis on like the Trojan family, right? It's just it's just different, man. Like the last couple of years, you know, when I used to walk in and around the building, like to be for lack of better words, you kind of feel like an outcast, right? Like, you know, nobody says hi, like, you know what I mean? Like you may, you know, run across somebody that speaks to you, you know, but let me just clear up that like Clay was never one of those guys. You know what I mean? And there's a couple more faces in the building that, you know, were always like receptive, but the with this is different. I mean, from the head coach to the you know, the, the coordinator, to the assistant coaches, to the recruiting staff, you know, to anybody that's involved with the program. It's just absolute love. You know, the director of player development. It's just it's just love all the way around. Um, I definitely have to give a shout out to Cheryl Taplin. Um, You know, she's been making sure and, you know, putting a concerted effort, making sure that, you know, the alumni um, are getting around the program. Um, so definitely have to shout out her. Um, she's always giving me a heads up on anything like, hey, you know, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do that, you wanna go to practice, you know, you can always come, just let me know. And so I'm definitely feeling the love around the building. It's just a great feeling to have and just talking with the fellas, man. It's just one of those things where like, this is how it should be, right? But it's exciting feeling and you know, I'm really respecting what they're doing as a staff.
0: And when you come into building and you you, know, you get greeted and everything, you get that pride of your school once again, um, you want to root for them just as hard as, as the fans or even harder because you know you know you've been through those trials and tribulations that the players have been through. But what were your thoughts on what you saw this spring from you know from your, the practice that you get did get to check out from the spring game? What were your biggest takeaways from the couple of times seeing the team and seeing the vibe around around the team right now?
1: Um, you know, I just think I think the energy is fresh just completely through the whole program from the players all the way up. Um and I think that's always a good thing. Um one thing I was, you know, telling somebody about on Saturday is that, you know, the the cool thing about when you get a new staff in, right, is it kind of it kinda rejuvenates the players, right? Because I mean you have some guys where, you know, hey, you're under a certain staff and you know they feel how they feel about you and you probably are where you are as far as you know depth and playing time is concerned. But when the new guys come in, right, and it was kind of like that, you know, when Lane Kiffin came when I was there. When the new guys come in town, I mean, everybody's energy's back up, right? Because it's like these guys don't know me. Um, this is my chance to shine, and I think you can see it just from a competitive standpoint. Um, in the practices, I mean, those kids are those kids are really going at it. But uh, most importantly, man, they're having fun with it, right? Like I think they're enjoying the competition, and I think that's one of the things that's always going to make a team be competitive right and 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 be a really good team is when you know guys embrace the competition right I mean because competition is everywhere at the end of the day but you know when you really embrace the competition like when you really like even though it's your brother you look at the guy you know lined up across from you you want to beat him every single snap and you're going to let him know about it um (laughs) I think those are the things that that really drive the forces to create you know the championship cultures.
0: Now that's spoken like the, the cornerback days from you, know, not necessarily the linebacker safety days, you know, a cornerback mano and mano want to talk trash over there. Uh, I see you, I see you TV. You've been around uh, off and on since graduating in 2012. So, you know, you've seen the different staffs, the different iterations from, from Lane Kiffin to Sark to Ed Orgeron, all those pieces along the way, Clay Helton to Lincoln Riley now. Is there something that felt different with Lincoln Riley and his staff versus the previous staffs? So They've really been harping on culture and trying to change the culture. Is there something that feels a little bit different from what you've seen in the past at
1: USC? 100%. And, you know, I think the biggest thing that, that makes a difference, and, you know, I don't hold it against any of the previous staffs that have been there, but these are winners, right? Like these guys come from an established program, right, where, like, dominance is what they do, right? Like, you know, they've always been competitors in the Big 12, right? Like, this is what they do. Like, they're looking to win a championship every season. And I think, like, that's one of the major differences. You know, again, hey, no shade to the guys that were there before. I and mean, obviously, you know, we've competed and won Rose Bowls and things that nature under Clay. So, you know, that's no knock to him at all. But I just feel like with the, with the turnover, with the staff, I feel like that was kind of, you know, diminishing, right? Where it's like, you know, you got this piece and that piece moving all around all the time. And then, you know, we, at the very end, you know, you got pretty much a rollover of the whole staff, but you know, those guys came from a place that, I mean, to just be honest, wasn't doing that well. Right. So, you know, you can come in and and establish yourself, but at the end of the day, I feel like, you know, coming in with, with a different attitude when you're used to like winning, right? Like, and you know what it takes to win on a consistent basis. And I think that's something that's going to help drive the culture at the program is bringing in guys that are winners, right? Like, you know, with a big company, if they're, if they're going to bring in a motivational speaker, right? Like they're not going to bring in like uh, you know, a, a bottom 300 person in, in their field, right? Like they're going to bring in a top hundred, top 20, you know, top five guy in the field to come speak to you. Right. Because, you know, when you, when you receive energy from a person that's used to like being dominant, um, it kind of has a trickle down effect. Right. And I think that's just one of the things where, you know, they've been able to bring, you know, that that energy, that effort um, and that attitude to the program. And like I said, you can you can just feel it every single time you get around them. You can feel it. Talking to those guys like, you know, you understand it. I mean, yeah, they're here. They're enjoying it. They love it. But like they're here to prove a point. Right. Like this is a new experience for them. Their job is taking a program that has kind of been on a lower level and not only asserting the dominance that they're used to, but even taking a little further, right? Because we're talking about USC. We're not like one of those, hey, we won the conference and that's a good thing kind of program, right? Like the the, the, the expectation that USC is national championship. So I'm excited for the challenge for them, and I think that they're bringing the right attitude to the program.
0: They're also bringing in a lot of new guys as well, not just on the coaching staff, but also players. They're overturning the roster. A number of transfers come in. You talk about winners, and one of the guys that you mentioned that you were looking, had your eye on coming in to to check out spring ball was I got to see where the kid from Alabama is, and that's a winner, Shane Lee, a guy that comes from a national championship program. They brought in a number of these transfers, and they're overhauling the the roster and they're overhauling the culture of the in the locker room and everything else. You know, what were your impressions of the transfers? Did any of those guys stand out to you? I know you were looking for Shane Lee, number fifty three. You know, you had to check at him out a little bit, but anybody else, uh, what did you? what were your impressions of him and anybody else that kind of stood out to you?
1: Oh yeah. I mean, I, I, I like, I love Shane Lee, man. Uh, <laughs> that, that, hey man, that dude, he's built different, right? Like it was kind of like, you know, you're in the crowd of new faces, so you don't know who's who, but when they point to him and you see him, you're like, Oh, he's definitely from Alabama, right? Like <laughs> he's just built different. Right. And I, I think that's good to have in a program. Like where that guys see that and they're like, holy, right. Like I got to get on his level. So, um, and I like him as a ball player, too, of course. A couple of the standout guys for me, the one that really stood out to me was Brendan Rice. Dude's big, moves well, he's a playmaker, he attacks the football, like, I mean, I'm excited to see what he does um, in the fall. Another guy that stood out to me uh, was Makai Blackman, the corner for Colorado, same thing. Big corner, physical guy, attacking the football, looking to make plays, high energy, high effort. And then Another guy that stood to me, of course, because, you know, they have an already established connection, but, you know, really kind of stood out more in the spring game as well was Mario Williams, man. I mean, you could tell, like, you know, him and Caleb played together before, right? Like, they're just on one accord, Like, you know, they're throwing that fade ball, like, you know what I mean? Like, they're two brothers just playing catch in the backyard. So I'm excited for that. Uh, I think, and another big one for me is going to be Travis Dye, you know, from the transfer from Oregon. I mean, we already know what he can do. You know, at the end of the day, I would love for him to get some gloves one day, but I know that's not his thing. But, you know, I'm excited to see what he does because I just know who he is, right? Like, we know who he is. There's no secret about what type of player he is. And I think he's just going to be a really dynamic back um, that can not only carry the ball, but, right, catch it out the backfield and, and, and be able to make plays.
0: And obviously, Caleb Williams is a guy that everyone's kept their eye on throughout the offseason, whether it be on the field, off the field. You had Matt Barkley as your starting quarterback during your time at USC. Uh, what kind of vibe did you get from watching Caleb Williams this spring and how he interacts with the team more so than just the, you know, we see the, what he can do on the field. We saw that last year as well. But what kind of vibe did you get as far as, you know, his interactions with the players? And how would you compare him maybe a little bit with Matt Barkley, who's another guy that always seemed to have a smile on his face and that everyone kind of gravitated towards uh, during your time?
1: Yeah, definitely. You know, I'm going to address the second part first just so I don't forget it. You know, uh, both of them are fun-loving guys, right? So, like, when you, look at, when you look at the, like, similarities between Matt and Caleb, I think they're just both fun-loving guys. You know, really good energies. Like, you know, just guys that you feel like, you know, they, they don't have bad days, right? Um, you know, they're always on the up and up, always, you know, always cheeky kind of guys. So I feel like, like, that's their biggest, you know, similarity. And obviously, you know, their strong arms. But, man, yeah, Caleb, he's just he, – you could tell he loves it. and You could tell he loves what he does. And you can tell he loves his teammates. You know, that's always something good to see and the good quality you have from your quarterback, right? Like, they enjoy it. They enjoy the competition. He, you know, he he, he talks a little bit um, at the end (laughs) of the day. But, you know, that's not a bad thing. I actually love that he does because you need that fire, right? Because, you know, right, like QB1 is always going to be, like, the primary driving force, like, on your team, right? So, you know, to have a guy like that that has some fire to him, you know, what I mean, that's a fun loving guy, you know, that brings the energy, but, you know, also backs it up. It's really good to see. It. And you can kind of tell that he can shut it on and shut it off, which I think is like really, really good quality to have. Right. Because, I mean, it's good to have fun and, it, and it, you know, it's good to be high energy and all that stuff. But, um, you know, when it's time to lock in, it's time to lock in and you can you can see it in them, you know, like, you know, transition from drill to drill. He's having fun, you know, Might be talking to this person, talking to that person, smiling, you know, um, skipping over there. But, you know, once the drill starts and once that period of practice starts, man, he's locked in, right? Like there's he's not distracted. So I think he's going to be a really good leader for the program. And also, too, you know, like I said, he's a winner, right? Like he's not used to anything other than winning. So I think that, you know, him being able to lead in the front and and to show these guys what it's all about is going to be helpful and impactful for the program.
0: Yeah, Lincoln Riley did mention that the best teams that he's been on, the championship teams are teams that are led with, you know, player-led leadership, but also that you have to have that QB1 being a big part of that. The QB1 has to be a leader if you want to have, you know, those championship caliber teams. And Caleb Williams is a guy who has come into L.A. and fully kind of embraced the L.A. experience so far. He's gotten a couple of NIL deals already, the big Beats one that, you know, everyone around USC, the, the athletes have really benefited from, you know, as his teammates all got, got the gifts of the Beats headphones and, you know, the the earbuds and the, the T-shirt and everything as well. So hooking up them, I thought it was interesting, and I don't know if you saw this but he didn't not only hook up his teammates he did that but he also hooked up like Rush Romano the athletic trainer he hooked up to some of the coaches the support staff you know what kind of precedent does that set uh when you're when your quarterback is doing that what kind of a message does it send to the rest of the team when you have a, your QB one that's going out and doing something like that that he doesn't necessarily have to do you know for anyone past the starters or you know past the scholarship guys or maybe just the team members but it just kept expanding and expanding what does that kind of tell you about him?
1: I mean, it, is, it, is just, it establishes the standard, right? Like like I said, it's, it's one of those things where, like, you can tell from the, from the top they're embracing the culture of family, right? And, you know, for, for this guy, right, like, again, he just got here. He doesn't know anybody in this building from a can of paint, you know what I mean? But, um, you know, for him to be able to say, you know what, I'm in this position and I can be able to, you know, get this to everyone, and I mean literally everyone, I think it just shows a lot about him just, you know, from a character perspective. And, you know, at the end of the day, like Coach Riley said, right, um, you know, player led, you know, programs and, and quarterback ones being that guy. Right. So, you know, when quarterback one is doing those kind of things, right, like how could anybody else on the roster like not follow that lead? Right. And at the end of the day, you know, leadership starts from the front. Right. So, you know, the fact that he's doing those kind of things, that he's making that kind of impact. You know, he's just a, he's just that kind of guy, right? Because you know, I don't I don't think things like that are instructed, right? Like I'm sure you know, Beach probably would have loved to maybe gave out a little bit less headphones, right? But <laughs> you know what I mean. But uh, you know, for him to be able to make sure that literally everybody um, gets them, it just it just sets the tone, right? It, this is who we are. This is who we're gonna be. And this is what we're going to do moving forward. And, you know, I think that just sets, that sets a major, major standard for the program. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and NA member FDIC.
0: College football is obviously in a different era now with the NIL, with the one time transfer. But I'm curious of the guys you played with. Who do you think would have made the most money from NIL deals if that had been legal at the time?
1: Ooh, that's a very good question. I mean, I feel like Barkley probably would have made the absolute um, most money. I mean, come on. We're talking Southern California kid. You know, Southern California born and raised, you know, number one quarterback. I want to say he was probably Gatorade player of the year. You know, went to the local school, went to the University of Southern California, you know, big smile, blonde hair. Like, <laughs> oh, man, like he, he, he's just like the he's like the glowing image of Southern California. Right. And, and the quarterback at USC. So I think he would have probably raked it in. Um, and he's also really bright. Right. Like mm-hmm. that's the one thing about Matt, you know, that he shows on a basis daily basis. But like, if you know, being around him, you get to know him. Like He's a really bright dude very well versed just as far as like you know different assets of life and i think that that would have probably yeah he probably i don't even want to think about how much money he probably would (laughs) have made but i know he would have hooked us up with anything that he would have had going anyway that definitely been one and i think probably robert woods probably would have been another one and probably marquise as well right like i said you're talking southern california born and raised like going to usc right like I feel like that just does so much because, you know, people in the community already know you, right? Like, you know, you go to Sarah, right? So everybody in Southern California already knows you. And then you're a major recruit from there. And then you go to the, you know, the premier school in Southern California, right? And I feel like those stars kind of just aligning for you would would definitely pay you pretty well uh, if we had NIL back in those days. Yeah, it was good to
0: see that Robert Woods getting uh, that his championship ring. So so unfortunate seeing him get hurt this year, not being able to participate in it. But I love the fact that you know that they were he was one of the first guys to hold the trophy. How his teammates kind of t- kind of uh, boosted him up during that whole uh, you know that whole Super Bowl week tells you how much he meant to everyone around there. And. It's just unfortunate now they traded him away to the Titans, but we'll see what they can do in Tennessee uh, with Robert. We hope he gets, he gets fully healthy, gets back out on the field, and starts making some plays again. Speaking of money, if I remember correctly, you went from a walk-on with a partial track scholarship to getting a full football ride during your time at USC. How did that change your life at the time, You know, going from a guy that's paying for school at USC, which I'm still doing, to someone that's getting getting everything taken
1: care of? It, it definitely changes things for sure. There's a lot that I don't have to deal with in life post football that obviously others have to <laughs> deal with. So, you know, that's that's the most obvious and glaring thing. But the biggest thing for me is um, it just made me feel appreciated. Right. Because, I mean, I was working my ass off, excuse my language, but, you know, what I mean, like and I was really trying to prove a point point. Um, and, you know, to see that. And see that uh, all culminate get rewarded was a very special feeling I'm obviously great on my mom as well because you know kind of saves her as well so that's a cool thing but then it also like it, it also like uh restored you know what my initial goal was right because you know my initial goal wasn't just like to go play football right like at the end of the day because if that was my goal i probably would not have never done it you know my goal was to to the NFL, like, at the end of the day, because I'm like, you know what, if I'm going to do this, like, I have to do everything I can to try to hit the top of the top, uh, the 1% of this thing, right? So it was kind of like, okay, cool, like, I'm at USC, right? Like, this is the premier program, right, in Southern California and just nationwide. So it's like, if I can do it here, what's next, right? Because that's kind of how goals work, right? Once you hit that first goal, it's like, okay, now what's next? So once I got that accomplished, it was like, okay, time to really lock in and and focus on and see if I can really do this thing.
0: Yeah, and one of my favorite stories that I've done was getting getting to go behind the scenes a little bit with with TB and kind of going through his day during spring camp when he, you know, being a dual sport athlete where you had both track practice with football practice, trying to get all your, your your studies in as well, waking up at basically, I think it was 5, five fifteen something like that in the morning. Um, and then basically being on campus for 10, 12 hours and then trying to cram in all your, your uh, studies at home so you could go to bed early so that you could be prepared for the next day. I'll actually, I'll, I'll, I'll post that story in the comment, in the thread of this uh, the story as well, um, since it is now defunct from the, the previous site that I wrote for, that I wrote that story for. But one of my favorite stories and kind of got to see that behind the scenes of being a dual sport athlete. Tell me what, you know, looking back on it now, what was the hardest part? You, you said you worked your ass off and that is absolutely true. Um, and you know, going both sports, doing ice baths multiple times a day, you know, all the small things that you had to do along the way, what was the hardest part for you trying to do both?
1: Oof, the hardest thing is really just finding a balance, right? One, finding a balance and two, having no breaks. Right. So the hardest thing was, first of all, trying to find a balance, right? Because you have to remember, like, not only am I playing two sports, but I still fall under the, the 20-hour week rule, right? So we literally would have to, like, during the spring, like, schedule it, like, where I'm doing, like, one hour of track and one hour of football. And it would legit <laughs> be, like, i go, like, say track practices before spring ball. Like, I would go practice the track, like, come out there. Literally, I would just be standing outside the gate waiting for a certain period of practice hit just so we knew we felt like within the – within the time restraints that they gave us. So, like, I would just be standing out there, like, waiting and in a certain period of practice part, and they would let me in. You know what I mean? So, it's like we stay within that, that rule. Uh, so, that was – that was interesting, but also kind of fun because it's kind of like, like Superman, right? You go in for one thing on, you know, you change clothes, you come out, and, you know, you have the next thing on, you're doing the next thing. But the biggest thing, too, is like, you know, with, with football, you want to hold weight, right? And with track, you want to be as light as you possibly can. So it would be like, uh, you know, football, you know, I'd get to 200, 205. And then, you know, when I try to football to track, I'm trying to get down to 195. And then my last year, they moved me to linebacker, right? So, like, I'm at, like, 210, 211, <laughs> right? And, it's like, track, I think I was only able to get down to, like, 205 uh, that year. And I was pretty heavy that year. So, you know, that was one of the also biggest challenges there was just that dynamic of, like, okay, well, you want to carry weight in football and you want to not uh, carry as much weight in track. So, like, you know, doing that back and forth and then getting in shape, right? Because football shape, I'm letting you know right now, is not track shape at all. So those first couple of weeks, man, when you transition, like, out of football completely and into track, it's so rough because, you know, it's just <laughs> thing about track is there's no escaping it, right? Like, you're running every day. <laughs> like, there's no secret. Like, you're running and we're sprinting, and that's just what we're going to do. So other than that, though, it was, it was pretty fun.
0: Yeah, I do remember in high school going from football to basketball and being like, man, I'm in the best shape of my life from football. I've been working out doing all this stuff. You get to basketball, I'm like, yeah, this is (gasps) (gasps) – The, the lungs needed to, you know, it's a different calibration of, of being in shape uh, for basketball, running up and down. Then when you transition, that transition to baseball, I was like, okay, this is much easier. Now we're yeah. now this is a little bit easier here. Uh, but definitely different conditions for different sports take a, take a little bit of a toll on your body a little bit differently. We've seen some dual sport athletes at USC. We've seen Adoree Jackson, Keenan Kristen, some other guys that have run track along the way. We've also seen Zach Banner and Drake London play a little bit of basketball. And a lot of times – that dual sport doesn't work for multiple years guys can do it for a year maybe. And you know, they realize, okay, the workload is a little bit too much. You were able to do it for multiple years at USC, which makes it even more impressive there. But you talked about your aspiration after getting that scholarship was I want to now make it to the NFL. So you went into the draft and Drake London is doing that this week. You know, we're going to see where he goes Another you know, that dual sport athlete there from USC, but you go in and you're expecting, I'm probably not going to get drafted, but I'm looking for an opportunity. So tell me about you know, the process of once the season ends, your senior season, and how much track you're running leading up, but how do you kind of you know, show yourself to scouts and everything what you can do while still running track, while still doing all that, and knowing, all right, I'm just looking for an opportunity, but I'm probably not going to get drafted. When I'm not going to hear my name called during the actual draft process.
1: Fortunately for me, you know, since I came in in the fall with track, um, I actually got count that years of red shirt, so my track eligibility ran out oh, okay. um, the fall before my last season. So but the interesting part about that as well though, is I had one more class um, I had to take. so I was taking the class in the morning and then um, going through the processes of training and things of that nature. But big thing is like as soon as your season ends, if you like already you know have it kind of like narrowed it down, or guys aren't hunting you down right, like, I wasn't getting hunted down by agents, right so um, you got to find somebody that's the right fit for you, right? Mm-hmm. I and mean, Unfortunately for me, like the, the person who I initially signed with just wasn't the right fit for me. And, you know, I don't, I don't know anything about the, the agency process, how it works. But at the end of the day, um, I'm always of the thought process of um, if I win, we win, right? When it comes to agents. And, you know, sometimes, you know, the big thing for me is I just, I felt like the, the first guy that represented me didn't want it as bad as I did right so I had to part ways with him ultimately um and I got a second guy um and eventually a third guy but I got a second guy that I felt like really went to bat for me at the end of the day he really he really went to war for me he really wanted it as bad as I did and I think at the time he's doing really well now but at the time he was more so like an up-and-comer like in doing the game as well so we kind of both had like that that chip on our shoulder right Of like you know got something to prove like you know he's got to try to get guys in the league, right? And, like, I got to try to get in myself. But that's the first thing you do is is you settle down on an agent. Um, And then it's pretty much just straight training. Like, for me, I had to take one more class, which is simple. I think it was, like, an 8 o'clock in the morning class. So I was, like, done by, like, 9.30. But then it's just training and taking care of your body, right? So, you know, I would get out of class. I would go hit the track, you know, work with Coach Gary, who I've been working with since I was a sophomore in high school. He actually has the, the combine record holder. He trained John Ross pre-draft. He, he's been Deshaun Jackson's trainer since Deshaun was like probably six years old. Um, yeah, he, he trained uh, one of my high school teammates, Altron Verner. And so that's kind of how we made the connection. Altron's dad connected my mom with Gary. and I've been working with him since I was like 16 years old. And I send everybody to him today because, you know, <laughs> he's really good at what he does. David Osberry went to him four four six at like 2.30. Brandon Carswell went to him 446. I ran 449. Like, this is what he does <laughs> legitimately. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always going to, I'm always going to, you know, big, big up his name and tell people, hey, if you really want to go 50 fast, like, go see Coach Gary. Like, I know these facilities are going to, you know, get you with these Bells and Wilsons and all that. But at the end of the day, like, his resume speaks for itself, right? Combine record holder. Like, you know what I mean? It, <laughs> there shouldn't be a question in mind, right? But then you do that. So then you do that. And then he, you know, he does everything, right? So we would do, um, we'd get on our track, uh, work on our sprint mechanics, you know, work on our speed work. Then after that, we would go straight to the weight room, you know, get, get those weight lifts in. And then also too, you know, I was working with Derek Davis and Irvin Booker, who Gary Irving and Derek kind of like are a team. So it was pretty much all inclusive for me. So I'd work out with Gary, then I'd go see Derek and work out with him, get some field work in. And that's pretty much all you're doing. Because for a guy like me, right, who like doesn't have the combine. So like your pro day is everything, right? Mm-hmm. So like you've got to be sharp. Uh, you got to be on point. So, you know, I, I built that up and I feel like I had a, a really good pro day for myself. And, you know, the pre jab process, it's pretty crazy, right? So although I wasn't technically like expecting my, hear my name get called, I, I, thought I, I, I thought I possibly would just based off the simple fact of like, you know, the, these teams, the, when you talk to them pre-draft, you know, they they get all your contact information from you, right? So, it's, it's never really, like, sometimes it's a surprise, but it's never really a secret of which teams have their eyes on you, because, mm-hmm. like, you know, I had teams calling, you know, you had teams that request your physicals and stuff like that, so, like, I want to say, like, Houston, I talked to Kansas City pre-draft, San Francisco pre-draft, I want to say, like, Indy may have been another one that, like, requested physicals, but, like, some teams repressed for physicals and, and, you know, asking the information, you know, to get your records from USC. But then some teams also like, hey, like, we need your contact information, right? Like, on some, like, you need your contact information because this is, you know, this is the number we're going to call. Like, what's the best number for you? Because, you know, obviously we draft you. Like, this is the number we're going to call. So a couple of teams, um, I know Frisco for sure have requested my contact information. And so, like, they had a couple of compensatory picks, like, at the very end of the draft. So I was like, holding my breath. There was, like, two or three teams that, like, requested my information, so like, at the end of the draft, I was like, hold oh, my breath. am like, come on, somebody call, somebody call, like, somebody call Um, because obviously you can't see the draft board, but, you know, you just know, they told you, like, hey, what's the best number to contact uh, you at? You know, things of that nature, so surprisingly for me, you know, I went undrafted. Like I said, it kind of hurt because those compensatory picks at the end of that draft, the two or three teams that, like, requested my information had, like, I want to say maybe in the last like 15 picks might've had like six or seven. So I was like, Oh, come on, somebody come get me. But that passed, you I know, mean, I was angry of course, you know, cause you know, I wasn't like a, you know, perennial all American like that. But you know, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, you put in work and you know what I mean? Like all, all this stuff is happening in pre-draft, like if I never had these conversations pre-draft, I would have been like, Oh shit, nobody calling me. So that kind of hurt, but tell you like, honestly got true. So as soon as the draft ended, um, I drove out to Huntington Beach, uh, parked at the pier, just kind of, like, literally looked at the water uh, for a little bit, just, like, kind of, you know, reflecting to myself and just thinking about it, like, damn, like, you no know, football might really be over. And I was just like, you know what, F it. Like, it's not over. Like, it's not over till it's over. So I literally, I ran, like, six miles, you know, down Huntington Beach, just, like, you know what, take this as an opportunity. Like, you didn't get drafted, so you have to keep working. So I legitimately, like, went on, like, a six-mile run, drove back home, woke up the next day, back to training, right? It was back to training. I was working out every single day because I'm just like, you never know, stay ready. And ironically, I was working out at a local junior college with some of my friends. Like, you know, they were there just to work out, but like I was there, I was, you know, doing my training and my lifting. I got a call during my lift, 619 area code, never talked to me pre-draft, and it was the Chargers. So they called me. Actually, I was literally legitimately in the middle of a lift. 619 ever called me. I'm like, okay, I'll go outside because I know who it was. I'm the phone. Hey, just trying to bring that, blah, 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 Like, yeah, it was, like, you know, one of the front office guys. Like, hey, we, we want to bring you in. Because, you know, I did the mini camp with them before. But, you know, they didn't extend the contract at the time. But then they called me. And they're like, can you be here? Like, can you be here tomorrow? I was like, shit, I'll leave right now, right? Because <laughs> San Diego is, like, two hours away. And so they were like, cool. So, like, I literally got off the phone. Like, went in there, told my friends, like, we had a celebration. Um, you know, in the weight room, of course, and shit, I went home, showered, changed, packed the little stuff I had and drove being straight down to San Diego um and went to training camp. So um, that was a pretty cool experience, though, but yeah, man, it, it's a lot that goes into it, but you you kind of have a good idea of what's gonna happen or who's kind of looking at you pre-draft, uh, post draft, that's when it's kind of get to the air.
0: and then eventually you end up making your way north from San Diego, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit further distance. You weren't just driving on this one. You end up in the CFL. What led you to, to make it up to Canada and you what was kind of the biggest adjustment of playing in the CFL?
1: Yeah. So um, the, the thing for me was, you know, I kind of watched, right. Like, you know, I've been there, you know, you go to SC, right. So you see all these guys like go through the draft process and, and, and even friends I went to other schools and you, you kind of watch them like, go through the draft process, make a training camp roster, get, get cut next offseason, the same thing, right? Like go through the process, train again, do a pro day, get on a, a training camp roster, get cut, right? And, like, the biggest thing with football that people don't realize is that sometimes it's really not even a matter of talent. It's, it's legitimately at the pro level, like what have you done lately kind of thing, right? So what happens is you go to these training camps, you get cut one year, two years. Right. And now you're you're circling back around and now it's year three. Right. So it's like you haven't played football, meaningful football in two seasons, now I'm going on the third. And I saw a lot of guys wash out, like chasing that NFL dream, Right. And it's not that I wanted to show you for myself, but I had teams in Canada calling, like that wanted me to come up there. Right. And so I had thought about like going through the process again as far as, you know, like the you know the pre-draft stuff and doing a pro day game but i was like you know what let me just to hold on to to hold on to this game like let me go where i want it. right like these people want me to come up here and play football for them like it's a lot less money but let's go right because at the end of the day it's like at the end of the day it's about keeping a dream alive right when it comes to sports because you know there, there's nothing else like it um and once this game is gone it's gone so that was great though um I started in BC. That didn't work out. And then I went up to Winnipeg. That was great. Uh, Winnipeg, like I I, I had to tell any person that's going to CFL, like to play for a particular team, I would always tell them, like, if Winnipeg gives you the opportunity go there, being there, it's just, it's just like a family. Um, they care about you. You know, they take good care of you. Um, the city's great. The fans are great. Um, the organization is, is top-notch from literally top to bottom. I'm talking management, you know, all the way on down. And it's just, it's just different over there. Like, I mean, they've won now what's called the Grey Cup, which is a championship up there. They won it back-to-back back up there. And, you know, while I was up there, you could see, you could see it on the way, just, uh, just on the way that they operated. And, you know, I was in another place that uh, – I was at VC's of Vancouver, which was great as well. Just a little different from a from a culture perspective, you know. It was like less of like a, a, a team uh, mentality there. It's more just like individual kind of thing. Um, and it happens at the pro level. Like it's, it's it's no big secret, but yeah, it was fun up there. And obviously, you know, dealt with snow and you know and frost on the car, uh, my window, car window, and uh, temperatures get a little chilly up there. It's a little different than the Southern California. <laughs>
0: Yeah, for a SoCal native, uh, how would you deal with the cold? I mean, I I moved to New Jersey and I'm not liking the weather out here, and you know, dealing with the cold that in the Northeast. So it's even worse when you go even further to, to Canada. So what
1: was the what was the hardest part of dealing with the cold? Really, the hardest part is just like you you can't you can't hide from it, right? Like <laughs> you know, like we're 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 not like we're not like students. We're like you know, you might. And, you know, Southern California, it might be a rain, really rainy day. You might wake up, uh, you might go to practice, but, like, as far as class, like, uh, I ain't going to class. Like, I'm not, you know what I mean? Like, it's raining. I'm not doing that. Um, with pro football, it's like, yeah, there's no hey, coach. Like, it's kind of cold out there today. Like, I don't think I'm going to show up. Um, you have to go out there. And, you know, the the thing about it is, yeah, that's when you're playing your most important football, right? So, it's like, you got to be locked and you got to be focused. You got to be working hard all while, like, you can feel the cold in your bones, right? So that was, a, that was a huge adjustment. First time, like I said, I ever dealt with frost in my windows. Like, I, I got, woke up one day and, like, um, never had dealt in my life. And, you know, I thought it was, like, morning dew. So, like, I turned on my windshield wipers and it's like, Ugh. I was like, what the hell? And like, luckily, one of my neighbors was out, and they were like, "You don't have one of these?" It was like a little scraper, and I was like, "No." And he was like, "Oh, let me help." And that's the thing about Canada too. Like, oh my God, Canadian citizens and residents—they're they're too nice, man. Like, it, it feels like you just have a bunch of friends up there. Honestly, um, it's just—it's a, a lot different. The United States, for sure, a lot more welcoming, a lot more safe. You know, up there, like it was—it's crazy because you know when I first got up there, like. You know, I get the lights and out here in Southern California, like it, it's not that way anymore because you know, I'm a little older. You know, I drive a dad mobile now, so, you know, they don't really bother me. But, you know, when I have my, I have my Camaro, you know, I get to the light and, you know, if the officer put him to the light, I'm kind of like, yo, you know what I mean? Like, keep your head forward. Like, don't even look. And uh, I was kind of like oh, the same thing up there when I got to Canada because I still have my Camaro, you know, get to the light. And the officer, officer am just like, uh, I don't want to look. And then he's just like, hey, and I was like oh shit this is different i'm like oh this is this is cool yeah they don't they're not really like they're there to protect right like they they're not like seeking like oh let me see who i can give a ticket to today right (laughs) or like let me see how i can bother this guy oh you're, you're young driving a fast car like let me pull you over like it's not that kind of culture so that was one of the greatest things for me it was like a it was like a culture shock to me just to see how welcoming and inviting that people can be like you know, I guess when you know, for lack of better terms, like the egos out the equation, right? Because I just don't feel like there's a lot of egos up there in Canada. I feel like they're just people that want to close this with each other and you know just live the life. So that was pretty fun. But yeah, that code is yeah, that code is a different beast. <laughs> it's it's
0: a little bit different. Uh, you did move back to LA. Uh, you know, the LA community is glad to have you back, TB. And yeah, thanks so much for taking the time. Got one final question for you. The name of the podcast is Heard on the Sideline. So, give me the craziest thing you've seen or heard
1: while you've been in a game or on the sideline. The I think the craziest thing I've ever like. I've ever seen or heard on the sideline, man, that's a, that's a really tough question. But just, like, thinking off the top of my head, man, I think, and I don't know if this is a good thing, but, like, man, you see these, like, one time one of my teammates, oh, he got hit, like, he got hit crazy, right? And, uh, <laughs> and it was like, damn, like, is he all right? And uh, he kind of bounce up and it's kind of just, like, you know, you got that like little woozy thing going on, you know, it's right there. And he's just like, he's like, uh, he's like, give me one of the packets, you know, like the little ammonia packets. And he's just like, give me the packet. He's like, get a little ammonia packet. Oh, and he's like, all right, I'm ready to go. It's like, oh, He's like these guys are crazy. Uh, I think that's probably like one of the craziest, you know, I- I- things I've seen on the sideline. And, uh, you know, ever after that, every time after that, every game, I was just like, I never knew about the like ammonia the thing. So, Every time I did that, I would just be like, pre-game, I was like, but like, that, it really does, like, it just wakes you up, right? Like, so um, I started, like, pregame, like, tell a trainer, hey, you got ammonia packet, Like, and that thing it would, like, wake me up right before the game, so pretty cool.
0: Yeah, we, we actually, in Georgia, you know, in the summer, playing summer baseball, we would have a cooler that would have ammonia rags, so you would have an ice cooler, you put the ammonia kind of over your head, you kind of get a little whiff of it, kind of wake you up uh, during the hot, the hot days of summer, but... TB, thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks for giving us a little insight on what you saw during the spring. And thank us for taking us through kind of a little bit of your time at USC as well and, and give us a little insight on, on what it was like back at, about a decade ago. You're getting older now. You're getting older. TB's got, got a young the – TB2, I guess it is now. You know, yeah. There's TB12, and everyone kind of knows that. But TB2, your young son, we'll look and see if he's going to be a USC recruit here before too long.
1: Yeah, man. I mean, you got an unofficial offer, so you know we'll see if it's standing in <laughs> the next eighteen years. But <laughs> looking forward to it, man. Uh, thank you for having me. Appreciate you, you know, always following up with me and uh, really caring about my story, right from just the get go. So, um, you know, anytime you need anything, just reach out to me. Uh, always got a friend. Of me.
0: Appreciate it, TB. Thanks so much for the time. And, you know, we look forward to seeing you on the sideline as you uh, you know get out there for the season opener and we'll see what kind of atmosphere there actually is. Once the lights turn on for real and the the place is packed, it should be really fun. We'll see what Lincoln Riley and the boys can do uh, this season for USC. But thanks so much for the time, and, and best of luck with everything going forward.
1: Thank you. Appreciate you, man.
0: Thanks so much to my guy, Tony Burnett, for joining us on the Herd It on the Sidelines podcast. Before we get out of here, we had one question emailed in for the Herd It pod, and as a reminder, you can always leave us a voicemail or text us at 424-254-9141 or email in your questions to podcast at uscfootball.com. Just make sure you mention it's for the Herd on the Sidelines podcast. Our question this week is from Mark in Santa Monica, who says, hey, Shotgun, seems like there is a pretty solid representation of USC players in the NBA, but it doesn't ever seem to be noted. They're usually not the top star players, except for maybe DeMar DeRozan, but so many players who seem to be just okay at SC have had some solid careers in the NBA. Are recruits taking notice of this? Thanks. Thanks for the question, Mark, and it's definitely been fun to watch as the number of Trojans continues to expand in the NBA with 10 guys in the league this season. I believe somewhere around 25 total guys playing professionally, both overseas and in the NBA. And this postseason has been a showcase for USC players with seven of the 10 guys in the NBA making it to at least the play-in tournament. That starts with Evan Mobley, who was robbed of the Rookie of the Year Award, in my opinion. He finished second in the closest voting of the award since they started using the current voting format like 20 years ago. But Mobley had a strong showing in the Cavaliers' two play-in turning games. He had 19 points and seven rebounds in the first one, and then 18 and eight in the second one. He also had seven combined assists and four blocks. He's going to be a beast for years to come. It's going to be really fun to watch as that young Cleveland team continues to grow. He was ultimately bested by his former Compton Magic teammate and another Trojan, Onyeka Okongwu, who only had two points against the Cavs but was plus 21 in 29 minutes in that game to help the Hawks beat Cleveland and earn the number 8 seed. Of course, it was a short playoff stint for Atlanta after that, but when Big O played well, it helped propel the Hawks to play their best, including when he played the entire fourth quarter and was plus 19, helping Atlanta get its lone win against the Miami Heat. But ultimately, the Heat eliminated my Hawks tier, single tier down the cheek on that one. But at least we got to see another former USC big man, Dwayne Demon, play well and advance with Miami. He averaged 4.2 points and 3.6 rebounds while shooting 69% on his two-point attempts in only nine and a half minutes per game as one of the lone bigs to come off the bench for the Heat. We'll see if he's used a little bit more in their next series, especially if they play the 76ers and Joel Embiid might need those big bodies a little bit more. Also in the East, the Bulls were led by the Trojan duo of DeMar DeRozan and Nikola Vucevic, who combined to average 40 points and nearly 20 rebounds per game. Obviously, the big highlight of that was DeRozan having one of the best performances of the playoffs in Game 2, scoring a new playoff career high for him, 41 points. But the Bucs did a pretty good job of limiting him the rest of the series, holding him into 41% shooting after he shot 50% during the regular season. Vucevic was a model of consistency, though. He had four double-doubles in the series, including 19 points, 16 rebounds, and six assists in the final game, but it wasn't enough for the Bulls in that one. They were missing the two UCLA guys in that one, actually. Lonzo Ball, who was out for the duration. They also lost Caruso, but also having uh, Zach Levine not to be available in that game five. So you got to have those Trojans and Bruins playing together uh, for the Bulls to be uh, performing at their best this season, and unfortunately, it didn't happen in the playoffs. Over in the Western Conference, Jordan McLaughlin and DeAnthony Melton's teams have been squaring off in a back-and-forth battle between Memphis and Minnesota. Both those guys have played roles off the bench. They participated in four of the five games, with McLaughlin making probably the biggest impact. He had 13 assists, or he has 13 assists to two turnovers so far, and he went off for 16 points on five of six shooting, including making all four of his threes in a Game 4 Timberwolves win. Melton struggled shooting in the series. His biggest impact actually came in game two when he hit two threes. He had seven points, three assists, and had a plus-minus of plus 13. But let's get back to Mark's question. Are the recruits paying attention? I think they definitely are. The USC's putting players in the NBA, and that the Trojans have a streak of first-round picks going right now is something that recruits have pointed out when I've talked to them about their interest in USC. And so every, every extra game in the t wolves Grizzly series and any time it gets pointed out in the broadcast that Melton and McLaughlin went to USC is only a positive for the Trojans' recruiting efforts, and especially the way they've continued to develop players under Andy Enfield is definitely helping them in their recruiting area as well. Thanks for the question, Mark. Thanks as well to all of you for taking the time to listen. If you could, please make sure you like, subscribe, leave a five-star review, all those things. Let us know your favorite part of the show on the on the Peristyle message board, and we appreciate you all and hope that you come back with us soon. If you want to, throw it on Twitter, throw it on the Peristyle. Who you want us to try to interview next? We'll try and reach out and see what we can do. But that's going to wrap it up. I'm your host, Shotgun Sparrow, and this has been the Hurt on the Sidelines podcast, a part of the Peristyle podcast family. Woo-hoo! <laughs>